Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Doctrine, Dogma, and Davide podcast. My name is Davide Genoa-Sterpi, and today I want to do just a quick response video to a clip of an interview that I saw of Isaac Asimov. Now, in this interview, the, the two participants are talking about morality and, and the atheist basis for morality. And so I, I really wanted to sort of dive into this and explain sort of like what are some of the problems with what uh, what the atheist Isaac Asimov is saying here. So w without further ado, I'm going to just go ahead and dive right into this clip. If God is dead, everything is permitted. That's what scares them. So right off the bat here, I, I do want to kind of object to the framing of the objection that is being put here to atheist morality here. The, the idea that the theist objection to the atheist basis for morals is that without God, everything is permitted. I, I don't think that that is really a, a fair statement to make. And to a certain extent, it depends on what you mean by permitted, because there have been a few atheistic societies in history, and in all of them there was immense repression. There were a great many things that in these atheistic societies that, that were not permitted, most notably criticism of the society. And so, you know, I don't think it's fair to say that without God, everything is permitted. The critique is much less that without God, you know, everything is permitted. The critique is much more so is that without God, Everything, the, every moral standard, every moral system is ultimately arbitrary. You can construct all sorts of different theories of morality and, and philosophical arguments for this theory of morality or that theory of morality, but if you don't acknowledge some sort of supernatural reality beyond just sort of like the natural physical sciences, then you have to acknowledge the fact that, you know, the difference between good and evil is really just a matter of opinion. Evil is evil because we have decided that it's evil, and good is good simply because we've decided that it is good. And the problem with a system of morality like that is that ultimately there is no rational basis for arguing that the morals should or should not change. And I think that that becomes even more apparent as we get to Isaac's response to this prompt. Well, on the contrary, that assumes that human beings have no feeling about what is right and wrong. All right, did you hear what he just said? He said that assumes that human beings have no feeling about what is right and wrong. So Isaac is saying exactly where he grounds his morality. Feeling. Now, this is actually a moral philosophy that was developed by David Hume in the 18th century. It's called sentimentalism. That basically there is no objective morality. There is no objective right and wrong. There are only generalized sentiments that human beings have regarding right or wrong. And this is something that David Hume argued for, and this is something that a lot of atheists will sort of take up, that basically I know that murder is wrong because everybody says that it's wrong. Now, David Hume takes this ideology to its logical conclusion to its actual full extent. Namely, he argues that there is no actual objective morality, and that when I say murder is wrong, what I'm actually saying is just I don't like murder. I don't want you to murder, and I don't want to murder. That basically murder feels icky to me. 
And so there's a serious problem with that. And namely, that that doesn't actually imply that murder is objectively in and of itself morally wrong, but rather that human beings have a generalized sentiment that it is wrong. Now, I've had atheists try to say to me that basically they can know that murder is objectively wrong based on that generalized agreement that in every society, pretty much across time and across cultures, every society pretty much agrees that murder is wrong, right? And therefore, it must be true. But that's a logical fallacy called argumentum ad populum. Everyone believes it, therefore it must be true. Additionally, I would also point out the fact that if your basis for believing that murder is wrong is that every single society across every culture and across every time has had a belief that murder is wrong, therefore murder must be wrong. Well, pretty much every society across history and across time and across cultures has also had a belief in the supernatural, has had a, some sort of religious system as well. And so you would not accept on that basis that there must be some sort of supernatural reality, that there must be some sort of god or some sort of religion that is true. And so it is inconsistent to say that no matter how many human societies have agreed that God exists, he doesn't exist, while at the same time saying that because human societies agree that murder is wrong, murder must also be wrong. There must be some other sort of grounding for it. And what Isaac is saying here is that the grounding is ultimately how I feel, that human beings have a natural sense of what is right and wrong. And this, in large part, is True, we as Christians believe that God has written the natural law onto the conscience of every man. Now, the problem is that not everyone agrees on exactly what is right and wrong. There are some sort of generalized principles, like say, murder is wrong. But across societies, you have very wide disagreements about what actually counts as murder. For instance, murder is the killing of an innocent person. But what if the person that I have killed is actually a slave? Well, slaves aren't people, they're property, right? And so in a society where slavery is accepted, then the murder of a slave would not be condemned as wrong. And so ultimately, the, the real failing of sentimentalism is that there is no rational basis under this sentimentalist view. There is no rational basis for arguing that the moral standards ought to to change, because it essentially says that the moral standard is what the sentiment of the public is. And so there's no rational basis for stating that the moral sentiment should be different or should be the same. And so there's no room or there's no rational basis for moral progress. There's no rational basis for saying that what is accepted by the society is wrong or what is condemned by the society is acceptable. At the end of the day, under the sentimentalist view, all you are saying when you say murder is wrong, you're really just saying, I don't like it. And that ultimately is an arbitrary line that you are drawing, and you are opening the door for people to decide for themselves what their moral standard is going to be based on their own individual sentiments and the sentiments of the people around them. Uh, as the only reason, is the only reason you are virtuous because that's your ticket to heaven? Is the only reason you don't beat your children to death because you don't want to go to hell? It seems to me that it's insulting to human beings to imply that only a system of rewards and punishments can keep you a decent human being. So I have a few notes on this point. The first is that he's making sort of the argument that I've heard several atheists make, which is that basically if the only reason 
that you are a good person is because you're afraid of hell. You're afraid of being punished for it. Then you're not actually a good person. You're a bad person on a leash. And I, I think that that's a very clever line until you realize the fact that the atheists are trying to cut that leash. If you believe that religious people who are only good because they fear punishment, if they're bad people on a leash, why on earth are you so insistent on cutting that leash? I would much rather have a bad person on a leash than a bad person off the leash. Now, the second thing that I, I want to say in response to this is that the, there's a general misunderstanding about sort of the, the moral system of theism here, because the moral system of theism is not simply a system of rewards and punishments. It's not, I'm going to be a good person because I don't want to go to hell. It's not, I'm going to be a good person because I want to go to heaven. It's, I want to be good because I love God, because I want to be closer to God, and ultimately because it is right. And so when theists say that without God, there is no objective moral framework, we're not objecting on sort of practical grounds. We're not saying that without God, you know, you're just going to be go around murdering people, because obviously that's not the case. What I'm, What we're saying here is that Without God, without some objective grounding for the morals, there is no objective basis. It becomes arbitrary. It becomes a matter of just, we decided that that is right or that is wrong as a culture or as a people, rather than having an objective basis for the morality. And he goes on to state that he finds it insulting to human beings to suggest that the only thing stopping people from beating their children to death is a system of rewards and punishments. He, he seems to believe that human beings will just always believe that it is wrong to just kill their children in cold blood. But the problem is, that's really not quite the case. You can look at a great many societies throughout history that have left children to die because they didn't look strong enough. You can look at the ancient Spartan society that would leave babies to die on a hill if they didn't seem strong, if they didn't seem like they could serve the state. You can look at places like uh, China, Today, which there was recently a, a documentary that came out about some of the implications of China's one-child policy, where some people would actually have children and then leave them, abandon them in you know a field or in the forest or wherever to die of exposure. And the documentary, they, they asked some of these people who had left their children to die, like, wasn't that wrong? Did, didn't you feel that that, was, that, that that was wrong, that that was evil? And the individual simply responded, no, of course not. We're overpopulated. We had to leave our children to die. We couldn't take care of them. And so that the Chinese people had been so enculturated to believe that these children had to die as a result of the one-child policy, as a result of the supposed overpopulation of China, that they genuinely did not believe that it was wrong to abandon their children to die. And I would say again that sentimentalism is not an adequate defense for an entrenched culture that believes that it is not wrong to kill a child for the, for the sake of the state, to prevent the state from being overpopulated. Because that is the sentiment in China right now, that it is not wrong to kill a child in order to preserve the state. And so while you don't necessarily need a system of explicit rewards and punishments in order to believe that you know, killing your children is wrong, because there is a natural sense and a natural conscience that every person has that it is wrong to kill their children. But 
the public sentiments can easily overwhelm that innate sense of morality that we have. And so sentimentalism is ultimately not a suitable defense against barbarity like that. There is no rational defense that a sentimentalist can take beyond saying, well, in my society, I don't like that. In my society, we think that's evil, so you should stop. But there's no rational basis for you to say that is objectively and intrinsically evil, and no person should do that regardless of how it makes them feel, regardless of whether they feel bad about it. Because ultimately, this morality depends on how you feel about your actions, with not actually whether the actions themselves are evil or good. And the fact that most people in most places would feel bad about doing evil things doesn't mean that there aren't societies out there that have been enculturated to believe that evil things are actually good. And sentimentalism has no defense for this. I also want you to like really pay attention to the fact that he says that it is insulting to human beings to state that a system of rewards and punishments is necessary in order to keep people in line, in order to keep people decent human beings, to keep people moral and righteous and virtuous. I want you to keep that in mind because he actually ends up contradicting himself in just a few moments. Isn't it conceivable a person wants to be a decent human being because that way he feels better, because that way the world is better? I would like to think, I don't believe that I'm ever going to heaven or hell. I think that when I die, there will be nothingness. That's what I firmly believe. That does not mean that I have the impulse to go out and rob and steal and rape and everything else because I don't fear punishment. For one thing, I feel worldly, I fear worldly punishment. And for a second thing, I fear the punishment of my own conscience. So he just got finished saying that it is insulting to human beings to state that we should be dependent on a system of rewards and punishments in order to be a good human being. But then he immediately goes on to state that isn't it possible that a person might want to do good because it makes him feel good? Reward. And also, I fear the punishment of society. I fear the punishment of my own conscience. Punishment. And so even Isaac here acknowledges that his morality is still grounded in a system of rewards and punishments. Those rewards and punishments just happen to be temporal rather than eternal. They happen to be different rewards and different punishments to what theists believe in. Because ultimately, if you don't have a system of rewards and punishments, then what you have is anarchy. And that's not something that Isaac or most atheists, for that matter, actually support. So it's actually somewhat contradictory for him to state that a system of rewards and punishments is not necessary, but then he immediately cites a system of rewards and punishments according to the system of sentimentalism. Because ultimately, the question is not so much, how do we get people to behave in, in a moral manner? The question much more so is, how do we know what constitutes moral behavior in the first place? How do we know the difference between right and wrong? How do we know that right and wrong are actual things that exist in the first place? Now, if you're logically consistent as David Hume was, you can actually just throw your hands up and say there is no actual right and wrong. There are only sentiments. There are only what people tend to believe is right and wrong. And so each culture is going to construct these moral systems according to what functions best. And so there is no rational basis or is there is no objective rational basis for stating that those moral systems are right or wrong. They just are. But once again, that precludes any possibility of objective moral progress amongst any society.
Now that's sort of the, the end of like the content of the actual arguments that Isaac makes in this in this short clip. But I, I really wanted to respond to this because it, it did sort of take me back to my college days when I when I was talking to a lot of atheists and quite frankly when I was trying to become an atheist myself, I was always surprised at how few atheists are willing to sort of like take radical materialism to what I always thought was its logical end, which is the belief that there is no supernatural reality, there are no philosophical truths, there is only scientific truths. There is only the natural world. There's no such thing as morality. There's no such thing as human rights. These are just concepts we invented because it helped us survive. And it, it always surprised me that so many atheists are unwilling to sort of take that last step, to sort of like take their atheism to what I see as the, the ultimate logical conclusion of their premises. Because there are a bunch of different atheistic ways of constructing various systems of morality. There's utilitarianism, there's sentimentalism, there, there are, and there are a few others that sort of like basically start with a premise that they like and then build the system out from that. They start with the premise that it is good to, to help people and it is wrong to hurt people, and they build the system off of that. They start with the premise that good things make me feel good and bad things make me feel bad, and they build the system out of that. All of these systems ultimately rest on an unprovable assumption. Namely, that what makes me feel good is objectively good, and what makes me feel bad is objectively bad. That my feelings are never going to lead me astray in that matter. Or in the case of utilitarianism, you're starting with the proposition that it is good to help people and bad to hurt people. Well, why? If we're all just sentient sacks of meat hurtling through a meaningless void, if we're all just a bunch of particles that have come together into this sentient being by total accident, the universe is completely indifferent to whether I live or die. If I die and there's nothingness, if you die and there's nothingness, the universe doesn't care one way or another whether you're in pain or you're in pleasure. It doesn't actually matter whether or not I hurt or help you. And so, to me, without some sort of, without some sort of acknowledgement of a supernatural reality, even if it's not what we would call God, if you don't acknowledge the existence of a supernatural reality of some sort, then you can't actually acknowledge the existence of an objective moral system. There is only a moral system that is convenient. There is only a moral system that's useful. In that sense, morality becomes a lot like you know our systems of measurement, like how much mass is in a kilogram. The amount of mass in a kilogram is however much we decided a kilogram should have that it's an entirely arbitrary unit that we decided upon in order to build out our systems of measurements. But the problem with bu building a system of morality like that is, let's say in the case of a kilogram, if I argue that a kilogram should weigh less or a kilogram should weigh more, then you can't actually argue on the basis of like, no, a kilogram objectively weighs one kilogram. An objectively a, a kilogram has to weigh exactly this amount. A kilogram has to have exactly this much mass. The only argument against it would be it would throw the rest of our system into disarray. It would be inconvenient if we were to change the mass of a kilogram or we were to change you know, the system of temperature that we use. At the end of the day, there is no objective basis for saying that water boils at 100 degrees Celsius. We decided it because it's convenient. And if morality is like that, then there's no objective basis for saying the morals should change or stay the same, except for saying that simply changing those morals would be inconvenient to us. And you cannot build out an objective moral system on that basis.
But with that, I hope you liked the video. I hope it was spiritually fruitful for you. I hope it was intellectually engaging for you. If you liked it, be sure to like, comment, do whatever it is that people of the internet do, and I will see you all next time. God bless you.